Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Emily Nuttall. Emily is a mental health campaigner and ambassador for Beat and Mind. Emily is also advising at Action for Children. Emily joins us today to discuss her eating disorder experience as well as how neurodiversity and disability fit into Emily's experience. Hello Emily. Hey Hannah, good to see you. Yeah, you too. It's so lovely to actually finally, well, not meet you, but kind of, you know, see you on a screen rather than just chatting on Twitter. Definitely. Yeah. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good. Thank you. I've just had all my uni assignments handed in, so I'm quite chilled. Amazing. And the sun's out. Yeah. So, yeah. And how are you? Yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you. What are you doing at uni? I'm doing my counselling level two. So it's my counselling skills. Oh, wow. Just my local hospital. And then there's like a UK organisation that oversee it with the teaching and training. So, yeah, finish in February. So I started in February last uh, this year till February next year. So that's so cool. <laughs> that horrible like little end push. Yeah, but it's good. I've just handed in three assignments. So I can I can chill for a few. Days. Wow, good. Nice Halloween weekend. Nice chill. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm very excited to speak to you because I, I watched your um, live that you did with Kerry from Ori um, and I thought you articulated your experience so well. It's really li- lovely to listen to. So I guess, like, you know, to paint the picture, everyone, do you want to start by chatting about your eating disorder experience and sort of how that developed for you? Yeah. So I officially got di- originally got diagnosed with anorexia in 2008. So I wow was, yeah early kind of around 12. It's quite scary mm-hmm. now when I look back. Um, and so I got diagnosed because I've been struggling kind of with I guess eating sort of symptoms for a good three years prior to that, but no one really picked up on it until my school Gosh. got involved and I just had you know. Um, cams involved from there so I got diagnosed in 2008 and yeah after kind of struggling for three years um, because of I guess having a disability it's been quite hard and having kind of Mm -hmm. my autism as well kind of and all of that together didn't kind of make sense to me in my world if that makes sense Um, Mm -hmm. so that was a kind of challenge to navigate and lots of life experiences with that so I think And that kind of, yeah, I fully recovered the first time in 2013. Um, And then I did have a bit of a relapse seven and a half years ago. But I'm quite glad to say at the moment, I'm I'm kind of in that steady place. So I've had to learn self. But it's that I I describe recovery as a roller coaster. So you have your ups, which are brilliant. You have the downs, which are horrible. And you have the straight lines. And it's just, yeah, Mm -hmm. and it goes along nicely for a bit. Yeah, I love that analogy of recovery being a roller coaster because I think there's this idea that when you recover, you're going to go to this like magical place and it's all going to be brilliant and you're never going to have a negative thought about food or your body again. Um, and I have sort of come to the conclusion that recovery is about um, it's it's 
being able to manage things differently than you would have done when you were in your eating disorder. So let's say a bad situation happens rather than turn into the eating disorder, you turn to, you know, coping mechanisms that you've learned through treatment and stuff. Um, so yeah, I think that to me is, is recovery. So that you're saying at the moment that is that kind of where you're at now with things? Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of, I think kind of with my disability and being autistic, mm-hmm that neurodivergent side it's it is a struggle to navigate the world as it is you know because you're having to Mm. understand so much and make sense of so much and feel kind of in control of life and managing kind of because you know I guess people that don't have experiences with autism or physical learning disability or maybe trauma and other mental health it can be quite a challenge to understand but actually for Mm. me it's having to, for me, I'm having to be, I'm so aware now of my feelings or when things feel overwhelming, I can articulate that because I've learned adaptive mm-hmm. ways to explain to people what's going on. And that's been really key to my treatment and my recovery. Yeah, I've said this a thousand times, but I always think that as horrible as eating disorders are, I think people that are in recovery or that have recovered are the most self-aware people that I've ever met and it's it's a wonderful skill to have you know like you say being so in touch with your emotions and knowing how to handle that sometimes it has its negatives and that you're so in touch with your emotions that you know you're a bit too in touch with them um but I want to ask more about sort of your um disability so do you think that you know I know you said that that was difficult to navigate sort of in recovery but did that have any role to play in the development of your eating disorder do you think yeah absolutely um so because i was a premature baby so i got diagnosed with cerebral palsy when i was one mm-hmm. um, as my mum said i was just an impatient baby because i came eight weeks early and wasn't um oh wow <laughs> put us through hell put her on bed rest for 12 weeks in hospital she had to have me but you know she, said she wouldn't change that for the world bless her but at <laughs> a young age it was you know cerebral palsy is this disability where physical people can see a physical difference in you so like my mobility mm. was affected I'm grateful that it's you know after a lot of surgery and a lot of physiotherapy that I am able to walk and I, I use crutches and things because mm. of the other challenges it's given me but you know some people don't get that opportunity at all some people can't walk some people can't talk so I'm really grateful that I've been able to do all that therapy to get to where I am but I think from a young age the medical professions they're always like taking control of my life and like I can't you know can't do things that way I can't be that way I can't look that way I can't because it will affect everything about my mobility and I think when you're such a young child and you hear all these terms and you know these comments towards yourself it's really hard to process and understand and can really impact your confidence and self-esteem and those feelings towards yourself if that makes sense. Yeah absolutely and I can imagine sort of you know, being in that medical setting and almost having your body under scrutiny so much, kind of, you mentioned quite a lot of surgery and things like that. I can imagine that would have knocked you quite a lot. And, you know, with the reduced mobility, like you say, I can imagine a massive confidence knocker as well. And, you know, I think we're all very aware that when things are under scrutiny or kind of we don't feel... 100% confident in ourselves in eating disorder that's quite a vulnerable position to be in because it comes knocking at the door and it's like I can make it better um when obviously it actually can't yeah definitely 
So did you find, was there like specific things associated with the cerebral palsy that, that kind of prompted the eating disorder or was it not that kind of obvious? Yeah, I think at first it was really hard to pick up the eating disorder because a lot of my symptoms mm. left me with physical health problems. It left me quite unwell and like physically with lots of infections. And, you know, I was more prone to um, getting quite ill with physical health problems quite quickly. So originally when things started to change for me with my relationship with Sue, they just put it down to, oh, you know, it's medical because you're not feeling very well. You're in pain. You've had a bug, mm. you've a virus. And because of cerebral palsy, when you get infections, the whole body got impacted. So they were like, you'll be fine in a few days. It will it will pass kind of that language. And then but I think that's kind of where I guess I hid it, because actually that's kind of where things did change for me. And mm. kind of like, you know, oh, they'll just think it's my physical condition. It's They'll think it's my cerebral palsy. They won't think anything of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So were you aware that you had an eating disorder? I, a little bit, I think, kind of looking back now, because I have such a good relationship with my mum now, like we didn't before. And, you know, we've worked on that through lots of different things. And actually, I think, yeah, my mum, I think realising now, I was sort of talking to my mum and things that happened. She said, actually, I think we both realised there was a problem, but it was... I think because when you have a medical condition, they are just so critical. You've got a physical disability. It's something physical wrong. You know, just just do this and you'll be fine. But actually, mm. it's looking at that whole person, which is so important. When when there's an issue, it's looking holistically at the whole person, not just the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, um, this may just be an assumption, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think often in the clinical setting a physical difficulty is almost you know if there's an option that it's a physical thing they will try and sort that out first because it's almost like you know it's we've got this physical problem we know how to treat that but when it's a a mental illness obviously they have physical implications as well but I think it's it's not as simple as just like you know we can do this and then you know that will fix them um so I can imagine that you know having that like the cerebral palsy diagnosis that for them it was just like oh it's a cerebral palsy or oh, cerebral palsy and, and I can imagine that was it kind of infuriating or did it feel kind of oh you know that's good because they're not going to realize yeah I think at the time when I was kind of you know in not a good place I think it was kind of like yeah I'm just you know I'm just convincing everyone I'm absolutely fine you know it's just a little mm. physical problem we'll be fine soon but actually I think in some ways eventually it was a relief because you know things just got you know very overwhelming for me and I think in the end I kind of reached it's almost I guess an epiphany moment where actually I was like yeah this isn't normal this isn't great I really can't carry on like this and I need I need someone to just be aware now that something isn't right and we need to work mm. on this. That makes sense. Mm, definitely. And when you went for treatment, was there specific things that they sort of implemented within your treatment to support the cerebral palsy? Or was it just like you're being treated for an eating disorder, this is how we do it? It's a bit of both. So I think, you know, they did focus a lot on the physical side at first. And then in the end, I just said, actually, yes, you've got to be aware of my physical side. I totally understand that. But I said, emotionally, this is impacting me more because 
I think I was because people could see the physical problem, their words and their actions had that emotional effect. And that mm. was just kind of making me more and more distressed. And it just kind of said, well, actually, I can just escape this with my eating disorder because I'm not having, I can just block out everything people say and go to sin. I think that was so, you know, I just needed them to understand that actually having a disability, yes, it's a physical thing, but also emotionally it's really in my life and it's actually having to have that support to meet those needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and something I wanted to ask, kind of, I guess, on the flip side was, did you have any surgeries for the cerebral palsy whilst you were struggling with the eating disorder? Yeah, so I've had had quite a lot of surgery the last, quite a long time of my life. Um, So I had my initial surgery when I was, yeah, about 11, so it was in 2001. Um, mm-hmm. So I was actually sent off to Southampton um, and spent quite a period of time in a unit um, to have surgery to learn to walk and to, um, it's like, oh. this like heel coordinate thing to just kind of make my legs more flexible and, you know, all the surgical terms that they use. Um, I have no idea what they mean, but um, about helping me to have that muscle strength and to then a lot of rehab, a lot of physiotherapy and learning to walk and like special shoes. I think. I was always seen as like because I went into mainstream education because I wasn't impacted intellectually, which I was really grateful for. So it meant I could go into the mainstream education system and actually people just really didn't understand me because they could see a physical problem. Mm. So they would pick on that and use emotional words to say things to me. So actually, that's kind of I think what the eating disorder did for me as well, took me away from those words and those comments from people, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that being a massive challenge. I think as lovely as children are to other children, I think, you know, any difference that can be recognised, um, no matter how much we talk about bullying in school, I think it, it does still kind of happen, um, which is which is really, really horrible and, and definitely shouldn't be the case. The, the thing that I wanted to ask was um, in, in regards to the surgeries, you know when you had those did you were you provided with any eating disorder support because if you think about when some people go for a surgery you know they might not have much of an appetite after surgery and um stuff like that which you know naturally i think you're very much encouraged to eat because your body is kind of healing itself and stuff but i think it's for if somebody with didn't have an eating disorder they might be able to you know not have a meal or something like that or you know eat when they're when they feel full but you know somebody that's in eating sort of recovery and just had surgery I wondered if there was any like specific support that you received with that yeah so eventually I did because I had my main surgery in 2001 and then kind of over the years it was more just physiotherapy and like rehab but in the end in 2008 um, when I was back in for medical complications from cerebral palsy I was that's when um, I was also, because I was struggling mentally with other things at that point, so CAMS got involved kind of while I was on the children's ward, like the generalised children's right. ward. And because I was like the only like, older patient on the ward, and there was, they actually came in because um, like the medical professionals then were quite worried about me because they'd noticed mm-hmm. quite a change in how I was responding to them emotionally and my behaviour and my distress level around certain things. And I think actually in the end they 
had a chat with CAMS and said there is a problem here. My school had also spotted the signs of the eating disorder, so they'd actually called in to CAMS and the ward. And so in the end, I just remember my mum arriving and just all these other people. And yeah, they kind of said, we think you've got a problem and we're quite worried about you and we want to help you. And kind of, I think, kind of my head at that point just wanted to swear at them and say every word at them to go away and not come back. And I think in some stage it was a relief because... Mm. I felt understood that actually, yes, I have a physical disability, but emotionally, this is where it's led me to. And I need to be understood and have support with that. And, you know, because my eating disorder then turned into that coping mechanism. I think um, I can really resonate with, with what you've just said there about almost, you know, when somebody says, yeah, we think that there's an issue, you're like, I, I think for me, and I don't know whether you will agree with this, but it, it for me feels like the eating disorder is the one that's angry. Um, and actually, like, deep down, Hannah is like, oh, my God, like, you know, really quietly, like, this this could be, this could, like, someone's wanting to help. This could be a way out. It's not just me and the eating disorder anymore. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can completely resonate with the wanting to swear and be like, no, there's nothing wrong. It's all fine. But actually, I don't think that's necessarily coming from us yeah I think it was a relief in a way I was just like as my mum said I always wear a mask and I just tell people I'm fine but in the end they saw underneath and they were like actually you're not fine and I was like to hear the words you're not fine it's like okay yeah I'm not fine and yeah I think if a professional can say that to you that's kind of almost like actually they understand that things aren't great and they need Mm. to try and help me in whatever way they can yeah Absolutely. And and so within all of that, how did the autism kind of and being neurodivergent, how did that impact or play a role? You know, were you diagnosed at a young age or was that something that happened later on for you? Yeah. So because kind of with my cerebral palsy as well, a lot of life had changed for me. So a lot of family changes that actually also happened because yeah my father kind of left when I was three and remarried and all of the awful stuff that came with it and I my kind of my emotional behavior changed as well with all of that change I I couldn't process emotions like at that point anyway I could like say what I was feeling but couldn't understand them and it was almost mm. like, as soon as I tried to express myself to people, I would come out in all these angry outbursts. And I just always remember that my mum said it was almost like I just turned into this monster because I could not express what I was feeling. I couldn't understand my emotions, what people were telling me, or process feelings. And it came out in other ways. And in the end, kind of the paediatrician said, actually, there's something else going on, as well as the cerebral palsy, mm. kind of mental health and eating disorder. You know, I just couldn't understand people. I couldn't understand the social world around me. I couldn't understand most things. So she said, we want to assess you for autism. And I just thought, what the hell? Because um, a scary word being thrown my way with all these other things. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, we'll just go with it. So there's then Centre here in Guernsey for Child Development Centre. So they just, they do all these assessments for children and young people with, with physical disability. And then they do learning disability and so they started to assess me for autism through there and kind of went through all these kind of different questions and assessments. And I had to do like all these role plays with different people and different like 
creative things and kind of in the end it did pick up that I was on the spectrum and had um ASD um and mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of like high functioning at that point and um it was Asperger's that they originally said when I was yeah around 14 15. Okay so by that point you already had been diagnosed with the eating disorder? Yeah so the eating disorder diagnosis came first and other mental health conditions within that and because I'd always been quite an anxious person so there was anxiety linked in kind of with depression and then Mm -hmm. disorder and then the autism came after that originally but not a lot was really Mm -hmm. done with it because they just said oh yeah she's autistic and didn't really find me up and they said right that's your diagnosis and if there's any questions just come back to us and just really didn't do a lot at that point helpful (laughs) very helpful did you kind of you know looking back now obviously when you're in the situation I think it's it's very difficult to recognize but looking back do you think that there was any sort of interplay between the eating disorder and the autism but kind of you know maybe made things worse for you or better yeah I think it was quite hard to be expressive because I really struggled because people's autism struggle with emotions and feelings and interpretations of the world and all of this chaos I just couldn't make sense of it and it was almost mm. like I just couldn't I could tell people what I was feeling and thinking but I couldn't logically explain why that was happening I'd just be like sure. I feel angry or I feel frustrated or I feel sad but then I couldn't then go up. Well, I don't know why I feel angry. I don't know why I feel sad. I just mm-hmm. felt the emotion and couldn't then process where that emotion was coming from. And I think in a way, and that's where my eating disorder came in, is I was actually a way to just try and forget emotions and focus on something else. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, did a podcast a few weeks ago with Anna Aldershaw, who has developed speaks therapy and one of the sort of big, well, the, kind of focal point of that treatment is emotion focused and the role that emotions can play in anorexia and the anorexia you know very much comes along to sort of you know navigate um distract sort of anything for emotions for for individuals that don't really know how to process them so you know i can imagine if that's kind of what your your difficulty was with autism then it's almost like a perfect storm for that eating disorder to to then develop And so when you went for treatment, um, you know, were there particular things that, you know, were was tailored specifically towards the eating disorder with the autism in mind? Or, you know, have you had things that have been really positive? You know, if people are listening, I think it's great to kind of share the things that you found useful in your experience. Yeah, so in CAMS, it wasn't really, because the autism kind of came so late, they didn't really have the resources here in my area to mm. kind of treat eating disorders with autism. So, they, you know, I had the generalised CBT, I had, you know, the talking therapy, the art therapy, the family therapy and the dietetic support. And I did have to go um, away for treatment a couple of times away from my area mm. into inpatient services in CAMS. At that point, because with the autism diagnosis, they didn't have the resources to make treatment adaptable. So I found it really difficult because, you know, I was grateful I had the treatment. The treatment was there. The support was there, but it wasn't meeting my needs. So I, it was almost like they said I was disengaging when actually 
I was trying to engage head. I couldn't process what on earth was happening in that treatment. Um, and that was really difficult for me. So I think I found that really, really hard. And it was the same again when I turned 18 and went into adult services. And that was just even worse because they didn't have the resources, the time, the staff, the capacity um, originally to do that. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest problems, isn't it? In that we're kind of getting to the point now where we're very aware that, you know, you can't just give sort of everybody the same treatment. You really need to look at the individual and take on board all the different elements of the person. Um, and I think clinicians are so aware of that. And actually, it's really frustrating that their funding just isn't in place to be able to support that. And, you know, I always think about this in terms of you know with everybody we've all got different things going on different life situations different diagnosis all of that and you know that that does take quite a lot of resources and skills to be able to adapt to that but ultimately you know if we don't have that then people aren't aren't going to get better because that's what's needed you have to kind of take in every single element rather than just looking at the eating disorder because there's you know so many things around it at the same time yeah absolutely and i think as well it just it's almost like a vicious circle because I kind of found myself when I moved into adult services just kind of going around and around circles of treatment because, you know, I didn't experience that mm. in patient services and day patient and out, like outpatient and everything. And it just, you know, the support was there for when I needed it for, you know, certain parts of my treatment to kind of get me stable physically and mentally to keep me back in the community. But it was it was kind of a bit adaptable, but then it wasn't kind of meeting that need. So kind of a few months later, things were going downhill quite quickly again. And they'd be like, oh, you're back here again. I'd be like, well, because I just haven't had that right support. And I don't know what's going on. I wasn't finished this. And it kind of, yeah, just kind of became that vicious circle, really. Mm. So how did you get to the place where you're at now? Because you, you sound like you're doing well. Um, what... Do you know, are there elements of the treatment or is it kind of, you know, what you've done yourself um, that's gotten you to where you are now? Yeah, it's almost like, I guess the epiphany moment for me was, um, so I had my initial CAMS diagnosis of autism when I was younger, but in, you know, nothing, obviously nothing really followed from that from the services, apart from just, you know, in and out of eating disorder services and inpatient. After my last inpatient admission in 2017, that was a long time ago, um, <laughs> for me, some other events had happened um, between 2015 and 2017 within my family, um, kind of with a family breakdown experience and lots of other things that followed. Um, and a lot of like professionals like social workers and eating disorder services, mental health and like the medical services said, that's not like me, what's going on, what's happening? Mm. Um, and I was under Action for Children actually at that point. So, I've, so I lived with Action for Children for tw in 2014 after my 2013 admission. Um, that was part of mm. kind of me getting back out of hospital and kind of rebuilding my life and my family because a lot of my family breakdown had impacted my eating disorder. So it was about kind of living with the charity to rebuild those relationships and to learn life skills and to learn all the skills about me. Um, but then some other events kind of followed for me. Um, and I had quite a big mental health breakdown and other events that kind of were out of character for me. So in the end, this social worker said this, there's something going on because they'd never seen me like this in my life. And they just were like, what on earth is going on? I said, well, I don't know, because I said, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's happening and I cannot process it. So 
they decided to do another autism assessment in 2017, kind of through an autism charity mm. locally, um, with a private assessor who came over to the island and he would assess people all kinds of ways and, you know, get family involved, friends involved, other agencies or services involved with that person. So it actually then came about that my autism was then like more, I don't know the word I want, but worse than what originally Cam said. Kind of I was high-functioning right. with Asperger's, kind of the two together. So they said, actually, you know, all the treatment I was having, they were trying to help me, which was brilliant, but actually it wasn't working because I just did not understand it within my autism. So it meant mm. I then left the generalised kind of adult eating disorder services and I got referred to the learning disability service. So they've got a service here, which I'm working with now as expert by experience. Um, so it's a learning disability team, but it's got um, people trained within eating disorders and mental health and trauma. Oh, wow. And there's support workers, they've got day centres, there's social workers, dietitians. Um, and so I got referred to there and started seeing kind of different psychologists um, who then started to adapt my treatment in a way that met my eating disorder, met the trauma that I've been going through, met my other mental health in a way that met my autism so I could stay focused I could stay mm. engaged and I think that was the changing moment that actually kind of where recovery really started to move forward for me and that sounds amazing that that was available and you know just really kind of emphasizes that importance of looking at the bigger picture and actually you know maybe being in an eating disorder service with learning difficulties and a disability wasn't right but maybe you know being in the other environment that had eating sort of specialists was right so I think that was great that they were sort of able to look at different things and adapt that for you um one question one question I wanted to ask um because something that I've been sort of thinking about myself how do you feel about all of the sort of labels because you you know you've mentioned quite a few different kind of diagnoses that you've had um and I wonder how that kind of affects you personally yeah I think at first it was really hard because in my head I was like oh I'm just this person with x y and z you know I'm not I'm this disability I'm this trauma I'm this condition you know I kind of for a long time I just couldn't almost accept myself I think that was a really big thing that I'm not this I'm not Emily because I'm just labeled on a piece of paper, mm. this, this and this, I'm told I'm this, I'm told I'm that. And even through trauma that I went through within the family and things that happened, and I was told all these yeah, not very nice things about myself, it kind of just stuck with me and that almost made my eating disorder worse because it's like, well, actually, you are these things. Let's, you know, it's another way to get away from it. But actually, I've learned that kind of through my treatment, kind of through my inpatient, day patient, and now outpatient treatment, I've learned a lot about myself and my personality. And do a lot of coaching work now with adults with disability, um, physically and learning disability through sports. And we kind of get people in that haven't got a disability to come and be educated and understand these people and work with to change that language. Because actually you can have all these labels attached to you like a stick board, like, you know, like one of those. You can have all these labels with you on there, but actually you're the person that's under there and you're the unique person that's under there. And it's having to find a way to let that person come through. You know, it's been really hard for me, but through kind of art therapy and trauma therapy and 
those adaptable therapies, I think, has been really key because, you know, people with autism and eating disorders and mental health and trauma can't just sit in a room, have a book thrown at them and, mm -hmm. you know, have someone just chat to them going, this is your eating disorder. Yeah. This is what you need to do. This is your recovery. Whereas actually the creative approach has been the biggest change for me and the biggest way that's helping my recovery. Yeah, that's amazing. I think, like you say, um, you know, the, the standard sort of models of treatment, you know, they might work for some people, um, but we really do need to be adaptable for others. And it's so great to hear that the sort of creative side has been so helpful for you. And, you know, I often think, you know, being creative and stuff, it allows you to sort of dig deeper and express things that maybe you can't put into words. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, because you seem like a very busy lady. I don't know how you fit in everything that you do, but you are, you know, ambassador for so many different um, organizations and, and all, all the work that you do. And I think you just mentioned um, another one there that I didn't put in the description. So why, why do you do the work that you do? Why is it important for you? I always say to people, so, you know, people that don't have these experiences that work in those settings and those services and those charities, you know, if they haven't experienced it, they really, you know, they really try and understand, you know, they try and do what they can and, you know, which I fully appreciate. But people with lived experience, I think, is the most empowering because you've been there. You know, mm. I can relate to those people better and go, actually, I've been where you are or you're experiencing this and actually... You know, I was part of kind of growing up. I was really fortunate that when I had like my nan and my gran and my auntie, when they were alive, um, you know, they were really giving people because they were all teachers. And actually, they'd always taught me in life to to give and not receive. And actually to just, because when you give, you receive back in another way. And actually <laughs> through my treatment and through all the support and like the support of the charities that supported me and gave me that support, I thought, oh, yeah have given me support and it's given me new insight and learning and I think mm. actually you know if I can't give money I can't give you know physical ways I can give from experience ways and give support in another way to make a difference and I think that's kind of what's always inspired me to give back because so many people gave to me. Oh that's really beautiful I think um, you know I think I said to you I don't know whether I said it before. Oh, yeah, I think I said it before the podcast. You know, actually, you know, out of hard times can often come, you know, really amazing things. And it's so lovely to hear that, you know, you have received so much support that you do want to give back. Um, and I know that you, you know, make such a big impact um, on all the people that you work with. So, you know, I want to say thank you. Um, but yeah, you know, the work that you're doing is amazing and all the campaigning and, and then, you know, making people aware. I think it's really important that we do have people with lived experience, you know, sharing their experience and, and educating people because, you know, anybody can read a textbook. Um, but actually being able to hear what it feels like to experience something, I think, is just a, something quite unique about that. Um, so thank you. I think as well, just quickly actually saying on the lived experience and giving back is actually that creates, I don't know the word, it just came to my mind, like a new, almost like a new approach to treatment because mm. a new job as well. I'm doing a job with the government um, as a paid role kind of expert by experience. So I'm kind of on like a panel. I sit on training. So kind of when they're interviewing new people to learn disability and mental health and eating disorder services, a service user with experience and a carer sits in on the panel. 
and mm-hmm. you know we'll say as a lived experience person with this we would hope to see this this and this that you can offer and work on that and I think actually that really gives hindsight to then those professionals coming into those settings to work like when we you know when kind of training takes place I think you know kind of when beat do all their training and all these charities and governments do their training the expert by experience is so important because you're with somebody that's been there and done that and worn the t-shirt yeah definitely I think as well often um you know, sometimes when we have a particular diagnosis, clinicians, you know, they see so many people and they're there to help so many people. I think they can often see the diagnosis rather than actually seeing the patient. So by meeting somebody that's been there and having that sort of personal connection with them, I think it helps them to see that there's a person behind that illness um, that, you know, is just a regular person and, and doesn't, you know, it, no different to you it's just that they're struggling with something so I think that's what's really important about it as well um so thank you so much Emily it's been a real pleasure to chat with you and, and to meet you um you do so much so I want to signpost people your way so where can people find you to have a look at all the campaigning and the awareness building you're doing um I use most social media so my sins um <laughs> the pandemic I was like you know before the pandemic I hardly used any social media it was quite lovely and then all of a sudden it's like whoa I use a lot everything yeah um but um I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn um, and Instagram they're kind of my three main I use well thank you so much Emily it's been totally lovely to chat with you you've done an amazing job so yeah keep up the good work thank you if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust